live from Austin, Texas, Grace Covenant Church. First time to ever happen. This is amazing. This, this is a new step for Grace. This, I'm so grateful and thankful. Jonathan Britnell and his team of, of magicians have retooled and rebuilt our technology so that we can broadcast live on Sunday morning. And here's why that's important. Because as we like regather, as this goes on, we're still going to have most of our congregation not attending because it, there are more people at risk than that are people that are safe. So we can all be together on Sunday mornings now together, live stream from this point forward. So that's a great place for us to be. So we can gather, but it doesn't mean we should gather. We're still shooting for July 12th. We're practicing even this morning on how to get people in the auditorium and how far apart they should sit, those sorts of things. But because of the increase in hospitalization rates, we're holding that July 12th very loosely. <laughs> uh, stay tuned. We're going to try for that, but we'll see. We need to, besides people coming, we need to also be concerned about protecting the volunteers and of the technology people and also the teaching staff that, so that everybody stays healthy that come in the room and we're not infected as well. So those are kind of the reasons we're making decisions and continue to help us by praying for us as we make decisions about regathering. Today, we're reading through the Bible as a church together, and we're in a place, in, at least in the teaching time, where we're hitting the, what's called the divided kingdom period of time. And the divided kingdom, it's a mess. It is, it is just a mess. It's, it's judges all over again. Um, king Solomon is the last king of a united kingdom, and then his son is, it is the match that is thrown on this kindling that causes a fire that brings about a civil war. And after this period of time, it's called the divided kingdom because there's a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. They're going to be called Israel and southern is going to be called Judah. There's going to be 39 kings over 400 years. Only eight of them, only eight of them are any good. And so you can imagine they're in this free falling roller coaster ride of, of being in dreadful situations. And, and, Listen, it, it grieves us to read it. it. It was desperate for them to be in that situation, and it broke the heart of God to watch that happen. When you read the divided kingdom period, you, you wonder, is there anything that we can learn from that? Can, can we learn like, from that storyline like how God works? How, we could maybe learn a few lessons on how to avoid the pitfalls that they went into or how we, those eight good kings, maybe there's something that they did that could help us live our lives. How do we grow from the storyline of the divided kingdom as God is working out salvation for mankind? Well, if you want to know the heart of God, you want to know the mind of God, you go to the covenants. The covenants, that's the key. Those are the promises, the contracts between God and man where he swears by himself to do certain things. Now, there's kind, there are different types of covenants. We've talked about this in the series because covenants are so important. There's different types. There are unconditional covenants and conditional covenants. Unconditional covenants, those are promises where God makes the promise and the recipient doesn't do anything. They just receive it. it God does all the work. Unconditional covenants are to Abraham and David and their salvation covenant. Our salvation a promise from God is merely unconditional. He does all the work. We just receive it. And it's a good thing. It's an unconditional covenant. But there's also conditional covenants. You'll hear it in, uh, in the case of Israel, in us as well. 
It, it is after the fact, many of these are after the fact, after God says, I love you and you can't stop me from loving you. Uh, you are mine, I've adopted you, you can't leave, you, know, you're, you will always be mine. Then the conditional part says, but now, you wanna get along? Do you want, do you want a good life? Do you, want, do you wanna see how the world works? Do you want to live a life so that you feel my joy and avoid my grief? Those are conditional covenants. And it happens in Israel. As a matter of fact, Yahweh makes a conditional covenant after Israel is saved by grace, a miraculous uh, salvation experience out of Egypt. God calls them my people. You are my people in an unconditional, miraculous way, right? And then he takes them to Mount Sinai and he makes a conditional covenant with them after the fact. They belong to him and he says, look, you want to get along? Exodus 19 to 24 is a conditional covenant. It's called the Mosaic Covenant. A new Israel will show up a little 40 years later and he'll make the same conditional covenant to them. That's called the Palestinian Covenant because it's in Palestine. And, and that covenant goes like this. Happiness and safety, Israel, is conditional. If you obey my laws, I promise you, you will be prosperous and protected. I'll provide provisions and protection. But... If you reject me and go out on your own, you're on your own. You're on your own for your provisions and you're on your own for your protection. And so when you see the divided kingdom period and you see the melee that's taking place there, it is heartbreaking to God because it is predictable. There's no mystery to why they're in, in such a destitute place. It's because they have rejected the conditions of a conditional covenant. They're living out the cursings of the covenant in their disobedience. So I was studying uh, these 30 years ago with, uh, with Greg Herring in a Bible study. And of course, we're going through the covenants together because that's a great way to study the Bible and knowing God's will. And I think he asked, is there anything in the New Testament that would reflect a conditional covenant for, our, for, for us? Is there something that's like the Mosaic Palestinian covenant for us? And so he and I was like, hey, let's, let's find out. Here's what we came to. John chapter 15. If you have your Bibles with you, turn to John chapter 15. What an amazing chapter. It's not a covenant, just to be clear, it's not a covenant, but it is a conditional promise. It's a promise being made by God to his children, you and me, and he just says, happiness is conditional. <laughs> it, it's kind of up to us. It's, uh, we need to decide. The context of this uh, promise that Jesus made makes it all that much more meaningful. It's a very tender time. This is in the night that Jesus was betrayed. It is after the Lord's Supper, and he's on his way to the Garden of Gethsemane. And they went through what probably an ancient vineyard on the way there. And there they are, just kind of hemmed in by all those, all those vines. And he just stops and he says, listen, this is one of the last things he ever teaches. He says, this is how the soul works. Listen, men, there's only 11 of them. The one he really, these guys, I'm gonna tell you the mysteries of life. I want you to know the meaning and the purpose and the means of life because you're gonna love the end. This is how it all works. And so he makes this conditional promise to them. So when I read these verses I'm about to read, I would like for you to be listening for the conditions of this, what God is going to do, what we are to do, and then, you know, what what we get out of it, okay? So, just gonna read, I think, the first 14 verses or eight verses. Close your eyes 
And picture yourself in a, in a giant vineyard with Jesus Christ saying this, these last promises before his death. I am the vine and my father is the gardener. He lifts up every branch in me that bears no fruit. And while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so it'll, leave, it'll be even more fruitful. You're already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Now you remain in me and I will remain in you no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain on the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I'm the vine. You're the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, he can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he's like a, a branch that is thrown away and, and withers and such branches are picked up and they're thrown into the fire to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Those words are written for you and for me. This is Jesus speaking to us in a way, at least as his audience, it was crystal clear. It was crystal clear to them. They're in a vineyard. They all know how to grow uh, uh, grapes. They know how to do that because they're, it's instinctive to them. They're farmers. We don't. So let me explain, maybe let me try to explain to us, you know, urban people, you know, living in the suburbs, what he was, what, he, what the illustration is trying to show us, the metaphor, okay? It's a Jesus says, I am the true vine. If you're growing, if you have a vineyard, the true vine is the one that has a, uh, it's about as big around as a quarter or a 50 cent piece and it goes up and it, it hits a, a crossbar, right? A trellis that goes across. That's, that's the main source of the sap. He's the true vine. Then he says that the father is the gardener. He's going to do the work to make this, to make this vineyard produce fruit. And, and uh, he, he's responsible for making sure that happens, Okay. You and I, we're the branches. We're coming off those, those main vines that, that is Jesus Christ. But note this, it is the nature of the vines to just run wild, okay? They're just gonna, just gonna go as far as they can and just produce leaves, maybe a few sour grapes, but that's what they do if they're left alone because that's the easiest thing to do. That's what makes it simple, left alone. But the goal here, to be clear, is fruit more fruit, much fruit. God wants us to thrive in this life. All this talk about fruit, what is, what is the fruit? The fruit is to become like Christ in all of life. The, the fruit is, is Jesus Christ, Christ like breaking out inside of us. It is his, the, the thoughts of God, the heart of God, the courage of God in our lives. The fruit is how we were made to be what we were meant to be like. And the fruit of the Spirit sometimes, is, there's actually a list of those. Look at this in Galatians and see if you don't want some of these. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. <laughs> we were created for that fruit. We were made to, to make that kind of fruit happen in our lives. Who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want, you want joy in your life? Yes, you do. You want peace, much more peace, much peace? Yes, you do. And here's why, because we were created for abundance. 
We were created in, in the metaphor here to, to make a lot of good fruit. Fruit, more fruit, much fruit. It is the destiny of every believer to produce much fruit. But here's the thing. The fruit, more fruit, much fruit, it's conditional. This is the part that's conditional. The father's going to do his part and we're going to have to do our part. Here's what the father does. First, it says he lifts up and that means discipline. It says in in verse two, it says, every, Jesus said, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he lifts up. What happens here, some of these vines that get so long, they get in the dirt and they can't produce fruit because they're dirty. And so he lifts them up. And the idea of discipline, it's a metaphor for discipline. And what it means is that, that God, when we do things that are wrong, God will step in and sometimes stop us from doing those things. And it hurts sometimes. Discipline is, you know, it's not an easy thing to receive. <laughs> it's not easy to give either. And God disciplines us because he wants, he's like, a, like an Old Testament in the covenant, in the conditional covenant section of Exodus 19 through 24 here. And again, in Deuteronomy, when he talks about this uh, relationship he's going to have, he says, like a father disciplines his son as a loving father disciplines. Yes. Yeah. He's going to be that kind of a father. So he lifts us up when we're doing wrong. It means he's making things right for us. You ever been in a relationship that's bad for you? Maybe even toxic but you're, you like it and you want to, you want to stay involved in that relationship. And then somehow it just mysteriously ends. It like something happens. Mystery solved. That's the loving father. That's the gardener lifting you up and getting things out of your life that are bad. The second thing the father does is he prunes us back. It prunes us back. The second part of verse two says, and while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will even be more fruitful. While discipline is stopping us from doing wrong, this pruning is the idea of, of, of we're not maximizing our potential because we're, we're too distracted, right? We're not doing all the things we could be doing right. We're not, I don't know, preoccupations or our priorities. Sometimes as you get older, you can look back in your life and say, what was I doing? Just piddling around in that little stuff. If branches are left to themselves, they will run all the way down some of these trellises and they will just keep producing leaves and a few small sour grapes because that's what we do because it's easy. It's not our purpose, but if we're left alone, that's what we'll do. It'll look great from, this, you know, from a distance. Wow, look at all that foliage. You just can't have any really wonderful wine from that. And, and so sometimes if we're just left to ourselves, we do things that are not necessarily bad, but we shouldn't be spending our time doing it. It's, it's, it's just a, a terrible waste of our precious resource of time and energy. You ever been involved in some kind of hobby? You know, not a bad hobby but it's taking up a lot of your time, a lot of your energy, maybe even your resources like financially. And then all of a sudden it like mysteriously goes away. You can't do it anymore. Mystery solved. That's the gardener pruning back. A lot of pruning has to do with selfishness and it's all about me. And he's got to cut that away so we can, so that we can thrive. In summary, look, Jesus is the vine and we're the branches, 
And God the Father is the gardener, the vine dresser, and he's not a father like an absentee or Disney dad that just tells us, just it's fun. No, no, he's a father that disciplines us. He'll you know, do what he can to stop us from doing wrong. And then, and then he, he's also not like, you know, I don't know, general dad. It's like, you're going to respect me. Not, no, he's a father that will prune us. He wants to have a relationship with us in such a way that he can maximize everything we were meant to do. The goal is fruit, more fruit, much fruit, that we would become all that we were meant to be for the glory of God. I mean, that's that's next verse. Verse eight says, this is to my father's glory. That's, see, that we glorify God, that we bear much fruit, showing ourselves to be, showing yourselves to be my disciples. We validate that we're followers of Jesus by producing all of this fruit. So, That's what he's going to do. It's a conditional promise. What do we do? What do we do? We want that fruit. Oh, I want to, I want, I want love. You know, I want to be able to give love in my life and joy. I want that too. I'm on it. I'm, I'm got the assignment. Here we go. Let's go. Let's work on those attributes, those disciplines. But that's not what Jesus says in this passage. Never will you find in this last bit of teaching from Jesus the Christ that you are supposed to go get that fruit in your life. The fruit is an end, not a means. It is a consequence, not a cause. What we're supposed to do to get fruit in our lives, fruit will happen in our lives, is first and foremost, primarily, is remain in him or abide in him. That's how fruit is produced. Look, watch, I'm gonna read this uh, section again, and I want you to see how eight times in eight verses, Jesus says, remain in me. Sometimes he'll, he'll do the negative. If you don't remain in me, you don't get fruit. If you do remain in me, you do get fruit. It's all about remaining. <laughs> listen, again, listen for the remaining. I'm the true vine, my father is the gardener. Remain in me, and I will rem- remain in you. No branch can produce fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither you can bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, guess what's going to happen? Not going to bear any fruit. Right? Such branches are picked up and they're thrown in the fire and burned. If you do remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples by remaining in me. <laughs> Remain in me. Some, some of you might know, be familiar with, familiar with this passage, and uh, it's abide, right? Abide, remain. Uh, here's some synonyms. Lodge, sojourn. Listen to how relationally connected the synonyms are. To dwell with, to continue with, to encamp. We would say to hang out, to go on walks, to have a really close relationship. Watch how these words could be inserted here. If you lodge with me and my words live in you, whatever you ask, whatever you wish, it'll be given to you. If you sojourn with me and my words travel in your mind, ask whatever you wish, it'll be given to you. If you encamp with me and, and my words dwell in you, ask whatever you wish, it'll be given to you. The primary teaching of this, of this passage, the application teaching of this passage is not go make fruit. <laughs> it's abide, remain, remain in me. 
Think of the context. Jesus is in between the upper room and the Mount of Olives in this vineyard. And this is his last night. And he's, he's saying this. He's like, I'm leaving. But you don't have to leave me. You, you stay with me. You stay connected to me. You, we need to stay dependent. You need to stay dependent on me. You can't do anything without me. You need to focus. Look, he's, like, he's saying this. Look at me. Quit looking at the fruit. <laughs> This is so me, okay? I'm always looking at the, at the effect and not the cause. Look at me, not the fruit. I'll do the magic. We need to develop a great relationship. That's how you get fruit. <laughs> Look at the two consequences of what happens when you remain in him, okay? First one is your prayers are answered. He said, if you remain, abide, dwell in me and my words remain in you, then ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. So, like, that sounds like a blank check, like ask whatever you want, but, it's, but it, the context is, if you remain in me and my words remain in you. It's, it's like, if you get so connected with me, you're gonna start quoting me. You're thinking like me. You're gonna have the same values as me. And when you have prayer requests, it's like, yeah, that's just the way, I, that's just the way we work together. It, <laughs> when, uh, just this last week, uh, I was driving back from Costco with my, um, one, of, one of my daughters and, and you know, she's back because of the COVID thing. And you know, she's 25, she knows us, that sort of thing. And so she just, she was so funny because she played back this entire conversation that was going to happen in the future. She said, dad, I told you not to buy all those jalapenos. It's like a 50 gallon drum of jalapenos. And I said, I told you not to uh, buy all those jalapenos. Mom's gonna say dot, dot, dot. And then you're gonna say dot, dot, dot. And then she's gonna say dot, dot, dot. And then you're gonna say dot, dot, dot. And then you're gonna be back here next week re returning those jalapenos. And I went, Amy, really? So we go home and it was like a script that we read together. And so my point is, you know, why did, why did Amy say that? Because she's a smart aleck? Yes, she is. But <laughs> uh, it's because she, she abides in our family. She has seen this marriage go back and forth so many times that Melinda and I don't even need to talk. We say, Amy, what do we do? Just tell us what to say. Okay, got it. That's how it ends. Let's go to the end. That's what it means to be so connected. See, it's a relational abiding and connecting that you know the mind of God. That's why you can ask whatever you want. It'll be given to you. The second consequence of abiding and remaining in him is glorifying God. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. The Father shines when he sees fruit in us, much fruit, more fruit, that pleases him. When we become like Christ in all of life, it is to the glory of God the Father. That's always the end, always. So here's, here's the thing, you know, you want peace in your life? I bet you do right now. Much peace? Yeah, you want that. But you don't go after the peace. It would be very common if I want peace in my life to, to have peaceful thoughts, go on a little walk, thinking peaceful things, those sorts of things, right? But you know why it doesn't work? Is because the voice in my head about being at peace is not nearly as loud or violent as the voice of fear and the voice of injustice that I'm hearing constantly. And so my little walk around the block to get peace, pursuing peace, I miss it. But let's, it, it, this is what the Bible says. You, you want peace? 
you dwell on Jesus Christ. You focus on him. You, now, here's what you do. You go on that walk around the block, but you put, you put in some headphones, put on the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus taught, and just keep walking. Just keep walking. And when you get home, you'll be like, oh, there it is. There it is. I've been with the Savior. So how do you do that? How do you do that? Well, I mean, a couple things we do here all the time. But here's again, this is why we're going through the Bible in a year. Join us. Join us in our journey through the Bible in a year. Go to our website. You can download our, like our reading list and go to the various websites to get the Bible sent to you. Even some of those Bible apps can read the Bible to you. Join us. We're towards the end of the book of Psalms. It's a great time to pick up the story. It's at the other side of the divided kingdom. Another thing that I'd recommend is, is uh, a series that we did in 2011. Go to our website under sermons and scroll down to 2011. There was a series called Go Vertical. And if we weren't going through the Bible in a year, I would have spent this summer on Go Vertical. Really practical practices on how to abide, how to remain, how to you know, stay connected with one another. Uh, it's, a, it's about the practicing of the presence of God. There's a German philosopher that said, you know, if you tell me what you do with your time, I'll tell you who you become. Or the, that old Greek philosopher that said, you know, we don't rise to the level of our expectations. We rise to the level of what we practice, what we train. If we train in the disciplines of spending time in the presence of God, if we remain in him, then we produce fruit. Second thing, uh, part of this condition, is what we need to do is obey. Three sentences, watch how these sentences build on each other and cascade into this great ending about you show yourself abiding and producing fruit by obeying. Okay? Verse nine says, as the Father loved me, so I loved you. Now, remain in my love. Listen to what he's saying. I'm the vine, I'm the true vine, we're the branches. The Father's love came to the Son the son's love is now running through that vein. What's that sap taste like? That's what we get as branches. We get that sap, the love of God that's come from the father. I bet it glows. You want that sap. Okay, how do you remain in that love? Next sentence tells us, if you obey my commandments, you'll remain in my love, just as I obeyed my father's commandments and remained in his love. No mystery. How did, how did Jesus remain in the love of the Father? He obeyed him. How do we remain in the love of the Son? By obeying him. <laughs> and what's the motivation for the obedience? Next sentence. I have told you this, I have told you this, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Why, why did Jesus teach all this? So that he said this, so that, so that the joy of Jesus Christ would be in us and that joy would be complete. So the sap of the vine is the love of the Father to the Son and now to us, and now it's the joy of the Son complete. It's love and joy. How do you like me now? I mean that, wow, this is what Jesus is asking us to do. If we remain in him and we obey him, we will bear fruit. And then last, he says this. He says, you have to love each other because <laughs> the vines, there's a lot of vines. Those are other people, right? And we all get twisted and gnarly. And that's what a vineyard looks like. He says, okay, you're going to get tangled up. Love each other. Love each other. That's how you express that love. Look, let me just read it. Two paragraphs. I command you this. Uh, now, my command is this. 
Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. What did he command? That we love each other. I no longer call you servants because servant does not know what his master's business is. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me. I chose you and appointed you to go and to bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. Now, all that love back and forth, many of you know there are four Greek words for love in, in, in the original language here. And the Greek word for love here, agape. The real sacrificial, not friendship love, the sacrificial, courageous love. Last words of Jesus in this context is love. I command you to love one another. You need to show. That's why when you, when you run into people and they say, oh, I'm a good Christian and I'm doing all these practices and these sorts of things, but I don't go to church or I'm not really involved in the church, you think that's, that's not even remotely biblical. Because, you know, you can do all that like hypothetically because you're not twisted in other branches. The purpose of the church is to show the world how we love one another. And that draws people to the church. So that's one of the, certainly one of the key purposes of the church is to express that love for one another. That's what we're to do. Let me, I thought what I'd do is I'd like, if I had to teach this, in a way that we could understand it as non-farmers, what would it look like? And so I'll try to like overlap these things so that you can see the relational, the power of the relational connectivity that Jesus is talking about, what obedience looks like, answer to prayer, as much as I can here anyway. So what do we do that's kind of farming, yard work? So here's a couple pictures of some fall yard work, right? We're just, that's all we know about farming, raking leaves, boom, okay? but. The point is, it's like, look, you know, look at the older man here that looks like a grandfather with his granddaughter. It's like, okay, all right. Uh, do you, do you, do you, wanna, you want fruit? Yeah, okay. Do you want character? You bet. Do you want to feel the presence of God? You bet. Okay, where's that? I'm out in the yard raking. That's, that's what he's going to do. And the picture here is Jesus is going to do what Jesus is going to do. You need to go where Jesus is. Even in the second picture, you see the, 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 the I guess this is a father and a, and, a, and a daughter. Think about this. In the father, daughter, or that grandfather and his son, do they need those kids to help them? No. As a matter of fact, they're probably making it harder. What is Jesus up to? What's the, what is he doing? What's his raking leaves part of this? He's bringing the kingdom to, to all of mankind. That's been the storyline that we've been studying, right? Through the whole Bible, it is to bring the kingdom of God into every single person that we can possibly you know, talk to, to go into all nations and teaching them to obey all, they've all that God's commanded. That's what Jesus is up to. That's the raking the leaves, right? Is, is teaching everyone to become like Christ in all of life. That's what he's up to. You wanna be with Jesus? That's where Jesus is. That's what the church is supposed to do. Not supposed to get sidetracked by that. And, and, and so um, it, it's interesting that, that God could do that without us. He, he did it with a donkey, right? A talking donkey. I don't know how that worked, but he doesn't need us. So why? Why does he bring us out to that? 
Every believer is a minister so that we can rake leaves with him. Every believer is a minister so that we can be involved in doing what he is already going to do. It is God's sovereign will to bring the kingdom of God and absolute justice into this world. Do you wanna be part of that? You're gonna to need to go out and rake some leaves. That's what God is doing. You wanna abide with Jesus? This is what Jesus is up to. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want. If you're, in the, if you're in the business of doing what Jesus is doing, if you're trying to become like Christ in all of life, if his words are rattling around in your head and they're making you think differently, feel differently and act differently, you can pray whatever you want. Just look, let's go back to the metaphor of the, of the leaves. Look at all the, the whole families out there doing lawn work. The teenage son says, hey, dad, uh, listen, I, I think I need to go get some gas for, so we can mow this at the, at the end. It's like, sure. Dad says, you bet. Why not? Or he could say, no, why wouldn't you let me go get gas? Because we need leaves, leaf bags too. We're making a list. So even when you hear no in your prayers, you think, you know what? There's probably a better reason. I don't know what, but there might be a better reason. Hey, Dad, do you think we, uh, we should rake the neighbor's yard too? Right, yeah, they, that's an older person and they can't do it themselves. Yeah, let's do their yard. What about the other neighbor's yard? No, no, they need to learn how to rake their own leaves. Wow, so it's not always yes? No, we're gonna, there's a bigger thing here. If you obey me, you'll show that your love is for me. You're sitting in on the couch not doing anything. He's going to lift you up off that couch. At least, at least it wasn't our family. Yeah, I'm going to lift you up. You're doing wrong. And then if you're just, I don't know, throwing rocks at your sister or not raking fast, not doing your potential, I'm going to prune you back. Right. So that's why, that's, that's, why that's, that's where the discipline comes in. That's where the pruning comes in. Look how it's with him. This is with him. You get to spend time with him. And during all of that, you're loving one another as a family. You're loving one another. And so you're helping your younger sister who's not all that good with a rake because she's not all that big. You can help her with that. Be patient with her. You can be more encouraging to your brother. You bet. He could use your encouragement. Show him the way. And here's, what, here's kind of the bigger, kind of a bigger picture of this. This is why it's so beautiful. You see that family raking the yard together because the father wanted that done and then the kids joined in and they're doing this in great harmony and there's joy overflowing. It's expressing their love for one another. You know what happens to the neighbor down the street? He's envious. Even the kids are envious in the house down the street. They wish they could be part of a family that did that. All working together one purpose, knowing their father so intimately. And I want to, I'm saying that because envy is one of the major motivations of evangelism, expansion of the kingdom, in the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the Old Testament, when he was talking about the conditional covenant, he said, look, if you obey me and do everything I ask you to do, I'm going to protect you and provide for you. And other nations are going to look at that and they're going to come to a saving knowledge of who Yahweh is by wanting to be part of Israel. They're going to say, what God do you serve? And, and, and they tell them the story. And they're like, I want to serve Yahweh and Yahweh only. In the New Testament, they're going to know you're Christians by your love for one another. And they're going to want to join that love. Envy is a, is, a, is a motivating factor for evangelism. If we do what we're meant to do, the way we were designed to live, think about this. If we were able to, we, we remain in the Lord, we obey the Lord, 
and then we love one another, we will bear much fruit. Fruit, more fruit, much fruit. This is what gets me excited about like these times that we're living in right now. It's really hard to fake this. You can think peace thoughts, you can think happy thoughts, you can think joy thoughts, that doesn't work. Jesus said, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, it's an effect, not a cause. The cause is intimacy with the Lord, a relational intimacy. And when I think about the times that we're living in right now and how our church has been preaching for 50 years, every believer's a minister, we can thrive in this. We can thrive in this. Let's be not the divided kingdom with a bunch of stories of people that are disconnected, disobedient, and unloving. Let's be a story of a church that comes together and says, we're going to know our Savior. His words will be our thoughts. His desires will be our actions. And we're going to show our connection to the vine by the fruit that he produces in our life by grace. Let that sap run, his love and the Father's joy. Let's pray to that end. Let's be that church. Lord, I, when I think about, oh, just the, when I imagine that moment and how much, how important it must have been to you knowing that you had hours, just hours and even minutes with these men and wanted to leave with them this most important teaching Lord, I'd ask that you would help our souls grasp that. that. That we can't do anything without you, without tapping in on the sap of the Father's love through you and your joy to us. And so, Lord, I'd ask that you, we give, not that you need permission, but maybe we just open our eyes to the Father's work in our life where you disciplined us to stop us from doing evil. And you've pruned us back so that we'd have a greater potential for more fruit. We got lost in our way getting, I don't know, busy. Lord, I'd ask that you would cause each member, each branch of this church to thrive. And this church would be a church that thrives because of our dependence upon you, our understanding and enjoyment of our relationship with you our obedience to you and for our love for one another. Let us be a bountiful church. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome Sunday. See you again next week.